Hey kids, let's talk about the good old days growing up in Idaho. Hello everyone, welcome back to the show. We're back looking into the window of Harry Hicks's life as a kid growing up in Idaho. This episode takes us to his days as an eight or nine year old kid living in the beautiful Pissimeroy Valley. And then as the family moved to Forney. Keep in mind, this is during the Great Depression. Nobody had any money, and men would work wherever and whenever there was a place for them. Here's Harry's story. I remember living in Patterson, Idaho. Dad leased a ranch near town, and our homestead was on Dry Gulch, where Dad had built us an 18-by-24-foot frame house. I'll never forget the haircuts I got in those days. Dad run me out in the stubble field after a fresh hay mowing and roped me with his lasso. I couldn't run fast enough in my bare feet on that fresh cut field. After he roped and caught me, he cut my hair with the sheep shears. Everyone laughed about that, but I swear that it hurt to cut my hair. I bawled and screamed to prove that. My sister and I rode to school in an old pony cart with the black and lish kids to the old Ellis school where my mom attended when she was a young girl. At that time, Dad and my uncles were working with teams on the Salmon River Road at the crossing of the Pissimeroy River, that river that was named by the Indians. I happened to be one of the only people on earth who can spell Pissimeroy right. Anyway, we got my horse Robin about that time. He was presented as the most beloved of presents by my Uncle Ed and Brian Walker, my mother's brothers. He was of the Nezpir strain of Appaloosa, with a living soul that seemed to contain years of knowledge. I didn't think of him in terms of a broken horse, but a born member of the family, a little black colt that later turned a flea-bitten white. He was to be my babysitter and caretaker. I looked to old Robin many times for love and tenderness. So many times I have stood at old Robin's head and cried my anguish out, wiping my tears away on his soft, velvety nose. I rolled old Robin on Wild Horse Roundup as a teen, when all those beautiful ponies were shot so the range could be used for grazing cows. He had long lashes and the deepest blue eyes, and I loved him so. I was arguing with some of the kids over who had the best horse. I won the argument because none of the kids loved their horse enough to eat his slobber, or foam from the bridle bit. I proved my point by eating several handfuls of horse slobber from old Robin. Around that time, when I was nine or ten, I made friends with old... Harold Sven Jensen, or Ole the Swede, as he was known. He was a lot older than me, he being 18 years old or so at the time, but I will never forget his famous vaulting pole he used to vault across Patterson Creek, and he could take his skis and glide down the snow-covered road real fast. He was my hero. He lived in a board-framed house on the way to the sawmill that Dad ran for a while. The I'm a mine was not much further. A lot later, as a grown man living in Salmon, Ole the Swede lived just down the street from me and my family. Later, my dad went to work for the I'm a mine, and mom was the mine cook. 
I was allowed to associate with the miners and watch the poker games and all the fist fights. Around that time, I was also teased a lot by some of the older men, like my Uncle Andrew. That teasing made me scared to my wit's end. I was scared of Mormons, gypsies, doctors, telephones, cars, strangers, and even ghosts. I became a kid with the disposition of a rattlesnake when we finally moved away from there. To this day, I can't pick up the phone when it rings without remembering those frightful times. As I went on my way through my young life, I measured with my eye the distance from each rock to each club with the prospects of a weapon ever in mind, and found occasion to resort to using them at a minute's notice. I had the disposition of a rattlesnake ready to strike at a moment's notice. A bit later, Dad and all the family of four of us moved to Forney, and then eventually on to Yellow Jacket, where Dad would go to work for the mines with his team of horses. The first night after we left Patterson, we topped the Morgan Creek Divide. Mother and Dad rode in the covered wagon pulled by old Dot and Jill, her mate, the prized team of the country. They were big blacks. I often remember their feet were the size of the bottom of a nail keg. They weighed 2,200 pounds each. My sister Mildred and I ran and played along the road as we moved along. We camped that first night just above the old Kingsbury Ranch on what was Big Creek, which is now Panther Creek. While Dad made camp, Mother and I caught enough 9- to 15-inch trout for our supper and then breakfast. Mom tied a large knot in the end of a string and lay down on the edge of the creek in the high grass and tossed the knot string over in the narrow, deep water. As it floated along, a bull trout would swallow the knot. Then, as he would tug on the string to swim away, Mom would flip him out on the bank. After supper, we sat by the fire and told stories until we went to sleep, with all the night sounds, including those made by the horses. The next morning, we pulled out and soon got into the old stage station on Panther Creek in Forney, run by a typical French pioneer, Milt Merritt, with his big moss-horned mustache and broken French language. Mother was to cook for the freighters that made that a regular stopping place for pilgrims, salesmen, miners, and such. Dad worked his team in the area. Even though I was a kid, I would meet every freight string of wagons as they came in, and I got to know them all. There was Hilliard Grieber, who was from Tennessee and only drove mules. I've seen him driving an eight- or ten-mule hitch with his jockey box full of rocks. He couldn't reach the leaders with a whip, so he would cuss and throw rocks at them. Then there was Farrell Terry, a gentle sort, but all man, who had a glint of humor always in his eyes. The best and quietest of drivers. I later worked for him in the CCC camp, a pleasant man always ready to compliment a fellow. There was Charlie Mitchell, the stage driver. I later went to school in Salmon with his boy, young Charlie. And there was Kurt Roberts, another ring-tailed, rootin', tootin', mean son of a gun from Tennessee, same as Rufus Isley. My sister and I went to school in the old building outside of Forney. We went to school with the O'Connor kids, and like I mentioned, Mom was a cook while Dad worked his team of horses. Around this time, I remember old wild horse Bill Hamilton. 
He was the same man who drove his horse through the January winter snow, pulling a horse hide that old Granny Meltzer rode on. It was the night I was born, and she was the midwife that helped my mother when I came into the world. Anyway, Dad had given me a 25-cent mouth harp for Christmas. I would stay as long as I could in the old bunkhouse, listening to the hard-boiled talk of the men and workers that Mom cooked for. All the while, I was sucking air in and out of that harp. It must have been a hell of a noise, and it got on Bill's nerves. So he just grabbed the mouth harp for me and gave me a dime, and throwed the harp away. That made me mad, and I got hell from Dad for selling the harp for a dime. Later, to get even, I hid in the bunkhouse as Bill and the other men came in to wash up for supper. As Bill, holding the wash basin in his left hand, with his right hand went to tip up the big, hot, five-gallon can to pour him some wash water. At that time, I blew out the lamp, which plunged the room into pitch blackness. There Bill stood, cussing and hollering, pouring hot water all over himself. And when Wild Horse Bill got mad, he just yammered and stuttered like a crazy man. Someone finally struck a match and lit the light. Bill screamed, It's that brat! Get him! Get him, the little son of a bee! Get that brat! Catch him! Someone caught me, and Bill slobbering and sputtering with anger gave me a good flogging, as Bill called it. But I know Bill could hit harder than that. Well, to even the score, I had a block of wood I had rolled out on the apex of the gabled roof of the barn. I lay down on my stomach and held the block balanced at arm's length. I knew just what the men would do. True to nature, Bill put up his team after work and came out of the barn door and stood as he rolled a cigarette, licked the paper, and waited to see if anyone needed a hand. Just as he reached in his pocket for a match, my sister gave me the signal, and I gently pushed the block over the edge of the gable roof and let her go. The block struck Bill right on the top of the head, which knocked him down, stunned. He couldn't get his right hand out of his tight Levi pocket, so he rolled over to the right about twice. During that time, I left there, running along the slope of the gable barn roof, plunged down onto a shed in the rear, jumped to the ground from there, and started out through the trees. Meanwhile, Bill came to his senses, ran to the barn, and grabbed his lasso. He roped me Spanish fashion around the feet, which knocked me down and out cold. I was out for some time but I took my licks without any fuss. Later that fall, we were to leave Forney and move over to Yellow Jacket. What a story. Could you imagine being a young kid and getting roped and knocked out cold in the process? Sounds to me like you had it coming. Those were hard times. And back in the good old days, if a kid got out of line, any reasonable adult was allowed to discipline that kid and get him back in line. Those were the days, right? Stay tuned for the next episode when Harry's family moves to Yellow Jacket and he goes into business making cigars for all the miners. Thanks for listening. Growing up in Idaho, the good old days. 